you can make your veganism about two things. You can make it about love or you can make it about hate. You can make your veganism about how much you hate animal agriculture, how much you hate slaughterhouses, and how much you hate people who harm animals. And I can understand that point of view, but that, that is an exhausting place to come from. Or you can make it about how much you love animals, how much you love saving animals, how much you love the environment, how much you love you know, your body, no matter where you are, even if you're, you're very obese, don't hate your body, love what you're doing for it. Because while hate is exhausting, love is empowering. Love does people don't get tired of loving something. They don't, they just, they don't, it, it just doesn't happen. And we care for the things that we love. And I think that to promote lifelong positive change in things, it has to come from a place of love and not hate. show that was Bobby Sad and I'm Christina your host. So Bobby Sad is a director, producer and cinematographer. He is an organizer and board member of LA Animal Safe, LA Fur Safe and LA Health Safe and Vigil Photographer. You may remember him from our previous conversation from episode 34. Bobby's vegan journey first began in 2015 when he weighed almost 300 pounds and suffered from type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and everything else that comes with it. So his first, first his journey began as a, a, for health reasons. And he was able to reverse his diabetes in just six weeks and lost almost 100 pounds. However, it wasn't until he went to his first LA Animal Safe pig vigil and met Sean Monson, the director of Earthlings, and Amy Jean Davis, the founder of LA Safe, that he truly understood what it means to be vegan. Since then, Bobby has worked with Sean Monson as his cinematographer and producer. Uh, he has became the organizer for their LA Animal Save, an official vigil photographer, and he has produced and directed a vegan travel show called The Road Less Eaten. So far, they have the episodes from Israel, Ireland, and London. You should check out their uh, trailer for that show. It's great. But today, Bobby focuses a lot of his effort on this new um, project that he's working on called Million Dollar Vegan Campaign. Check it out. They have a website. Uh, but if you haven't yet, Million Dollar Vegan Campaign is a campaign seeking to raise awareness of some of the world's most pressing issues to tackle and tackle them by engaging with the world leaders, institutions, and individuals and inspiring positive dietary change. Um, to give you a brief preview, so last year they asked Pope Francis to go vegan for Lent and uh, they pledged to give million dollars to the um, nonprofit of his choice. Um, we talk, we get into details and we talk more um, about what happened. I encourage you to listen to the show. But this year they're getting even more creative and they're actually approaching one of the government officials um, to do the same thing, go vegan for the month of January and uh, they pledge to, to give a million dollars to the charity of his choice. It's it's really creative approach and it's really fun. Um, but I really encourage you to check out the website, the resources for Million Dollar Vegan Campaign. They have tons of resources there, movies, books, videos, and speeches. They have uh, ways and suggestions on how you can get uh, active locally, politically, globally, how you can contribute your time or money. They also have a really cool Instagram account that you should follow. They'll start releasing uh, daily videos uh, starting November preparing for this campaign. So it's really, really great conversation. They're 
always love catching up with Bobby Sad. I hope you follow him as well and uh, I hope you enjoy this. If you have any suggestions or questions, please reach out to me or Bobby via social media. It's pretty easy to find. Welcome to another episode of Follow Your Kind Podcast, and today we have a repeat guest. Welcome back on the show, Bobby Saad. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me back on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here again. I know your life is crazy with your travel and all the amazing things that you do for animals uh, that you're involved with. Uh, for those of you who may remember the previous episode, I would definitely encourage you to go and listen to it. Bobby Saad is an amazing videographer and filmmaker who worked uh, on documentaries with Sean Monson, who uh, the director of Earthlings, and uh, who is also engaged with many other uh, initiatives and is a very active member of uh, LA uh, Save uh, community. And uh, uh, he also worked on the vegan travel documentary show and is now a big part of the Million Dollar Vegan campaign that we will talking we will be talking about today. So really excited to have you on the show. As I said, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, and yeah, let's dive in the Million Dollar Vegan Campaign. So tell us a little bit more about the history and how it started. Okay, well, the, uh, the Million Dollar Vegan Campaign started with really trying to find a way of how do we create a bigger platform for, for getting our message out there. And, and what uh, is the message? So each campaign is a little different. The first one was about uh, the climate change and the environment, and this one is about health and healthcare. Mm -hmm. So when we started with, or when they started with the uh, the idea to begin with, they said, "What do we do? Who do we try to reach that would have the greatest influence?" And uh, you know, they thought, "Well, maybe celebrities or or this." And then I believe it was Sean who suggested. No, we have to, he said, we have to go to the pulpit. Religion would have the greatest influence. And so the first campaign, we drew up a letter talking about climate change and asking the Pope to go vegan for Lent to raise awareness for climate change. And it was signed by people like Paul McCartney and Woody Harrelson and Joaquin Phoenix and all the big vegan celebrities and activists. And that one involved Genesis Butler, the, uh, the young girl who, I believe she's the youngest person to ever have a TED Talk, and she's a very passionate animal rights activist. And she went to Vatican City with the letter. They got the letter to the Pope. Uh, I believe that she got an audience with the Pope. Uh, and the Pope, you know, said, I have your letter, basically, and that he's going to look over it. Now, he didn't actually go vegan for Lent. But what most people don't realize is the success of this campaign, of that campaign and this one and all of our campaigns will be, is not whether the person that we're asking actually goes vegan. The success of the campaign is based on how much free publicity we get. Right. And for that campaign, we got almost $100 million of free publicity across the world. This is amazing. Tracking back for just a second, how did you decide on approaching Pope Francis, why was he the person that you decided to go to? Well, because, I mean, of, so, like, say if we pick Judaism, like, who, who, who would you pick if, if you want to reach every Jew in the world, you know? Like, I'm Jewish, and I don't even know, right? Like, 
I don't know. Uh, so we, we thought this is a person who every Catholic on the planet at least listens to a little bit, you know, and I don't know, I think that's what, like 2 billion people or something. And so we thought, and, and because of how progressive he is with, with things like the environment, we, we thought it would be a good idea. Right. And I believe also at some point he was also very much outspoken about the need to uh, take action and address environmental uh, catastrophes and, and the, the climate change that's happening. So it definitely sounds Absolutely. like it would be a good alignment in that degree as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you address Pope Francis to go vegan for Lent and he's like, thank you for the letter. I heard it, but I'm not going to do that. Do you know if he, do you, did he have good reasoning for not doing it? Uh, I'm not, I mean, I don't know what his reasoning was. I mean, the, so with the ask, when we asked him to go vegan for mm -hmm. Lent, we said, you know, it, it involved that if he did, we would donate a million dollars to the charity of his choice. Um, we still donate money, whether they do or don't, not a million dollars, but we still donate money to the charity if they do or don't. Um, the timing was a little odd. We had to do it for because Lent was coming up, but they were also very involved at the time with the the uh, the scandal with you know uh, child sex things going mm -hmm. on, and so they were addressing that at the time. And so it could have just been that he didn't have time for it. Priorities, you know, I, right? I don't know. Yeah, which yeah. one blows up? I, I, yeah, yeah. So, but again, like what. You know, it, it was a very successful campaign in that, you know, we got press and, and write-ups and, and, and media outlets all over the world. I think it's 600 different media outlets, which totaled almost $100 million for free. Wow. I wish, now I wish we had more media coverage in the United States. It was almost entirely Europe because we learned that in the United States, that if it doesn't involve Trump, uh, the news doesn't really care. <laughs> so, <laughs> least, so, okay. Yeah. Just, just cute. Have you considered giving Trump a million dollars to go vegan? <laughs> well, we wouldn't give him a million dollars. We would, it would go to charity. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, we, we have considered it. We are doing the, the campaign that we're working on right now is, called uh make america healthy again uh i love it yeah and we're we're asking a certain politician in the united states to go vegan uh for the month of january to raise awareness about health care in america the health of americans and how we can greatly reduce health care costs and we said that if this person does go vegan for january uh that we would donate a million dollars to a veteran charity of their choice. Uh, because we don't want the charity that they choose to backfire, you know, or, or them to pick a, a charity that we are not in alignment with. Mm -hmm. And we find that veteran charities are just, the su supporting veterans is really bipartisan in this country. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal, almost everybody in those groups supports veterans. You know, so, uh, we found that that would probably have the best chance of getting somebody to, to go vegan, even if it's just to help veterans. 
Right. This is really cool. Um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, you have four pillars of kind of four main reasons to go vegan that you have uh, on the website and the resource page for the Million Dollar Vegan Campaign. So let's spend just a little bit of time talking about that. But then I want to come back to the campaign and kind of next steps and what, what do you hope to achieve with uh, getting the person to go vegan? So back to the reasons. I know that uh, there are four main things that are mentioned uh, that you're targeting and uh, bringing really a lot of evidence and a lot of articles and research that talks about the reason, four reasons to go vegan. And the reasons are first is environment, then world hunger, animals, and health. Uh, so maybe we can spend a little bit of time on each of those reasons. Um, can sure. let's start with environment? Well, just the, the impact on the environment from going vegan is just, one, the number one cause of rainforest deforestation, or, forest de uh, or deforestation in general, but especially the destruction of the rainforest. And right now, the reason why the Amazon has been on fire for a month is because of animal agriculture. They're, they're clearing trees and areas of the forest out at a, at a very rapid rate to create more land for raising cattle are you know raising livestock and growing soy not and only two percent i believe it's two i know it's less than five percent of the soy that they grow uh in south america becomes food for human beings almost all of it is food for raising livestock and uh these fires this this fire in the amazon got started because they were slashing and burning to create more space and it got out of control and so when you look at deforestation and its impact on species extinction, every single day, 130 plant and animal species will go extinct. Every single day, 200,000 acres of rainforest will be destroyed. This is every 24 hours. Every 24 hours, I believe it's 13 million tons of toxic chemicals are gonna be dumped into the, into the ocean and other waterways. Every single 24 hours, 45,000 human beings are gonna to starve to that, 38,000 of those are children. This is every 24 hours, all of which the greatest impact is animal agriculture. This is, I don't know, it just hurts listening to it. I, I, as, I, as I listen to the numbers and I know different people kind of respond to different things, but numbers and statistics really help me to put things into perspective. And I have like goosebumps, but this is, this is such an important issue that's, uh, that's being talked about on so many platforms today. And it, it's good to hear that people are waking up and this message is finally getting some media among other competing priorities. But it's also, I'm, I'm very hopeful that now that we're talking about it more, more action can be taken. And I know as we talked a little bit before we started recording, just the, the kind of publicity that Greta Thunberg is getting right now with her speech and, and appealing to the things of climate change and importance of taking action, as well as the recent movie that got released, uh, The Game Changers, who, that features James Cameron and his wife, who also is a, a person of a great reach and so many people listen to him. He has such a great audience. And the fact that he is speaking about it and encouraging people to to take a leap and go vegan or as close to vegan as possible for the environmental environmental reasons specifically is just is just very great to hear. And also like one thing that inspires me, yeah, like we can get an electric car or recycle and all those things are really great. But food is a choice that we make three times or more a day. 
And it's, it's, the, it's such a simple choice that can have such an amazingly big, make such a big difference on the environment. And it's like right, it's right in our hands. It's, it's like at the tip of our fork. So it, it's, it's a no-brainer to do that to help the environment. Yeah, it's, it's been, I mean, it was wonderful going to the climate strike here, um, but frustrating at the same time seeing how many people are not vegan and are not even talking about veganism and animal agriculture in terms of climate change, even though Greta herself is vegan. You know, they're just, and <clears throat> when you consider that the greatest impact on climate change is animal agriculture, you know, we're talking close to 50% of climate change emissions are connected to animal agriculture. It is the the biggest impact you can have is going vegan. And the easiest thing you can do for the climate change is going vegan. Like, you know, most vegans, and this is, this is kind of an issue where people, where vegans will go vegan and say, all right, we're, we're helping get rid of 50% of climate change emissions. And we're still ignoring the other 50%. You know, like when you think about like, if I ask you to, ha to try and impact climate change by going vegan, that's the easiest ask there is. I'm asking you just to shop in a different section at a grocery store. I'm you to unplug. I'm not asking you to stop using fossil fuels. I'm not asking you to stop using plastic. Those are the difficult things to do. Especially, like, I mean, think about it. All I'm asking you to do is not eat meat and dairy. I'm not asking you to not turn on your phone or not get in your car or not fly on a plane or not use plastic. That's the hard part. Like if people want to affect climate change, the easiest thing and the biggest impact they can have is going vegan. Then we can work on the other thing. Yeah, this is, this is so true. And this, it is such a great message because when I think about like recycling, I mean, it can be overwhelming to a lot of people or like getting a Tesla. It's wonderful, but it's a little bit expensive. <laughs> and yeah. rice and beans are very cheap and affordable and accessible to everybody. And veganism is the cheapest, it's the cheapest diet in the world. Uh, like people think it's expensive because they see the processed vegan foods, you know, that are expensive or they go to a vegan restaurant and it's expensive. But if you're on, if you're eating a, a diet where you're making your food out of whole foods, plant-based meals, you know, where you're just buying fruits, greens, grains, nuts, you know, legumes, beans, starches, uh, that's peasant food. That's the cheapest food in every grocery store you go to. That's the cheapest food. And the most expensive is meat, dairy, and processed food. Right. Just buy food that doesn't have an ingredient list on the back and you'll be fine. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's so cheap. I mean, anybody can afford rice and potatoes. I mean, it's like, you know, like $2 for a huge bag of potatoes. You know, yeah. that's like a week's worth of food for some people. Yeah, no, absolutely. So. It is. It, it is amazing because how, how blessed are we that the, the choice that is the best choice for ourselves as health, for the planet, it's, it's like the easy choice and it's the best choice for all the parties include, included. There really is no compromise of like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice my health for the sake of the planet. No, it's a win-win-win for all of the parties. We're blessed for those who do it. For those who are trying to get the message out, it's kind of a curse because it comes off as a very like superior point of view to say, I have the answer to everything, hmm. you know, because veganism is really like veganism is the answer to climate change. It 
is the answer to to the health problem in, in, across the world. It is the answer to the the hunger problem, world hunger problem. It is the answer to to our water pollution problems. And we're and the fact that it's so simple, one people don't believe it, and people you know we're trying to tell them we have the answer to everything. And then they're like, come on, you know, they don't want to hear it because they you sound like you know you sound a little you know like you're you're not crazy but it comes off a little superior you know and, and so it, it makes it difficult to get people to listen to you because it just one it sounds too simple you know uh, i can make myself heart attack proof just by eating vegetables you know which is true you can you absolutely can if you have if your cholesterol is i believe you know like under 80 or something you're basically heart attack proof uh Cholesterol only comes from animal product, animal protein. Stop eating animal protein. Lower your cholesterol. Uh, that's the number one cause of death in the United States. And uh, you know, it's we animal agriculture just in the United States alone uses 70 trillion gallons of water. 70 trillion. And the most mind-blowing thing that people can't, uh, people aren't thinking about, or they just don't connect the dots, is there's just under a million people that are starving to death, like in real starving to death starvation situations, it's around 900,000. We eat every year produce enough food to feed 70 billion animals that we kill. There's 8 billion human beings on the planet. We produce enough food to feed 70 billion animals. I, the, <laughs> it just seems nuts. That, like, how, how are we not? We're, we're, we're feeding 70 billion animals. We're producing enough food to do that. And then we're using those animals to create food that doesn't create enough food for everybody. Right. Clearly, we have a we have a world hunger problem. And think about all the food waste too. Ugh. For every nine calories of grains that you feed a chicken, you get one calorie of actual meat. For every twenty calories you feed a cow, you get one calorie back. That's the real food waste. Right. That's that's like massive food waste. Like multiply it, whatever the food waste is right now. I mean, multiply it by twenty. You know, like that's that's the real food waste right there. Like instead mm -hmm. of, like if you need to get two thousand calories a day, well, you can eat. What would produce two thousand calories in grain, right? Would be like what a hundred calories of meat, or of beef, because it's twenty calories of grain for one calorie right. of beef. It's insane. Yeah, the math just doesn't add up. No. That's so powerful. So I know we, so it kind of transitioned into the world hunger issue already, uh, which is obviously loud and clear that the world hunger needs not to exist when our food agriculture and the way that we make food and we make calories that we eat is just so inefficient and vegan and not uh, going vegan and not using the animal products as your sources of calories or protein or at least as your main sources is it just can revolutionize the whole food agriculture in such a way to make all of these resources more available to other people yeah and i mean one is that uh, uh, you know a lot of these countries where people are starving uh, are growing grain that they could eat, but instead it's sold to to Western world to be fed to animals for animal agriculture. So that's one obvious problem right there. 
transition into the third reason, which is animals, which I know is something that you're very, very passionate about. Um, can you talk more about kind of what, what are the main things that you see in that degree? Yeah, and this is the this is the one where science kind of gets blurry because we're talking about we're talking about ethics and we're talking about emotions and sentience and feelings, uh, where it becomes easier for the other side to argue against, uh, not with a good argument, but easier for them to argue because it really just comes down to what they believe is opinion. You know, even though we know that animals feel pain, we know it. The dog yelps when you step on its tail. We know this. You can hook up, you know, uh, you can hook an animal up to a machine where it judges like cortisol and pain responses and everything, and you will see that animals experience pain. Uh, and then the question comes to sentience, but it's just, it's really, it's really about you know a disconnection. People don't want to. People don't want. People don't want to know. And they know already. If you're if you're doing outreach and you're telling somebody, here I've got a, I've got a video I want to show you. It's uh it's chickens, male chickens that are ground up in the egg industry because they're not they have no there's no use for them. So day one they're just thrown into a masticator or or they're thrown into plastic bags and suffocated. You know they're killed day one. And don't even tell them that. Say, I just want to show you some footage from uh, the egg industry. And they'll say, oh, no, 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 that's okay. I, I, I don't want to see it. Because without seeing it, they know it's going to be a horror show. They know it. But for them, it's just out of sight, out of mind. And uh, that's why I really think things like uh, LA Animal Save vigils are important. Uh, you, it, I don't think you'll be able to get people to go to, like, meet the victims not everybody will do that not everybody will go to a slaughterhouse and I, and I don't think that everybody should because there's a huge difference an enormously huge difference between watching something like earthlings and dominion and standing on the killing floor it's it's a it's, it's a really big difference but if somebody says oh yeah i i saw how you know the chickens are, are killed or how you know animals are killed I saw I saw it on video and you know it didn't really affect me that much or I, I thought it was bad but you know I got over it because that's because denial is easy when all we have to do is turn off the screen we're disconnected from it to begin with because we're watching it on a screen it's technically it's, it's not real what we're watching because we're just watching a video playback of it uh, and so we turn it off it's out of sight out of mind we're not left we're not left lingering with anything physical from that experience but if you go to a vigil and uh you stand in front of a truck with animals that are about to die the truth of animal agriculture is presented to you front and center bright and undeniable it's there and you're going to smell them and you're going to hear them and you're going to feel them because the heat coming out the truck and that that stuff the smell will be on you for the rest of the day it's not something that goes away and I think that that has such a great impact on people just understanding, or at least makes it difficult for people to deny it if they can see it in person. You go from a position of knowing it instead of just knowing of it. Mm -hmm. Like if I, like, 
for somebody to say, and I'm not like I get in trouble, you know, I'm not comparing the Holocaust to animal agriculture. Uh, I'm Jewish. I had members die in the Holocaust, so don't yell at me. Uh, uh, if I watch Schindler's List, I can't. I still, if I watch every documentary, every movie ever made on the Holocaust, I cannot say that I know what the Holocaust was like. I can't because I wasn't there. Okay, you cannot say you know what animal agriculture is like unless you've been there. You know of it. I know of the Holocaust. I know of the things that happened, but I don't know them. And that's why I think it's important. Like vigil, I've been doing vigils for three years. I'm an organizer for LA Animal Save for the vigils. I've seen hundreds of people show up for their first time. I've never known a single person who regretted it, no matter how hard it was for them. I think that everybody can go to a vigil. Uh, it's an experience that it won't be absolutely destructive for your your mental well-being or emotional well-being uh, where like going into a slaughterhouse and filming animals being killed uh, that can be catastrophic to your emotional well-being like so the vigils are different and I think that they're important for people to understand animal agriculture uh, to know it it's hard to look an animal in the eyes and say that they're not feeling anything or they're not aware of something that they that they do not have an inner life as rich and as connected as we do. Like it's, you can't, it's, you, you, you look in the eyes of a pig who's the fifth most intelligent animal on the planet. Okay. That they're, they're smarter than most primates. They, uh, they have the intelligence of a four-year-old child. And we make the argument all the time, we don't need dolphins because they're smart. We don't need this animals because they're smart, which I understand its place in the argument, but I, I find it a, an annoying argument because we are, we're, it, it brings in the idea of human exceptionalism. One, we're judging their intelligence from a human perspective. Well, we're more, we're, we're more intelligent because look what we can do. We can build, you know, supercomputers and test uh, you know, cars and well, yeah, great. But why would a pig ever need to do that? So it would never evolve to do that. It brings in the idea that human beings are the pinnacle of all evolution. We are the pinnacle of human evolution, just as the pig is the pinnacle of their evolution. They are as intelligent as they need to be. Pigs are brilliant at being pigs. Chickens are brilliant at being chickens. You know, if you tried to be a chicken, they would look at you like that has got to be one of the dumbest animals on the planet, you know? So let's not, let's not, it's like, I believe it was Einstein. I'm not sure who said, don't judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree. Like don't judge its intelligence on its ability to climb a tree. Like, I, I mean, you, you get into a weird place where it's like, okay, if we're judging someone's uh, right to life on their intelligence, should we just start judging every human being, like get everyone to take an IQ test? Well, you know, Michio Kaku and, uh, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, they have more rights to live than almost everybody on the planet then. Is that what you're saying? You know, it's, it's a weird argument to me. So that's where, I, you know, the, the, the ethical argument comes into to play. It's a, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so powerful. It's a weird experience. It is so powerful. And, um, the few things that stand out for me that one is kind of like where we can talk numbers and statistics about like environment and world hunger 
that helps us gauge the problem. I think it's much harder to use numbers and statistics when it comes to the argument about animals, which numbers and statistics still help to put things into perspective. But I feel like in order to really get yourself or your, you know, your, whatever your thing, your, your brain to buy into that, vice versa, you have to really scale down to the power of individual story and personal connection. And as you said, be able to look a pig in the eye or look the, at the animal in the eye and think about their story. Think about the cows having calves that like get taken away and it's so heartbreaking for them. Or thinks about, think about chickens or this poor little chicken and I was uh, reading the, the new book from Leah Garces, Grilled, and uh, she talks about how chickens today get slaughtered like when they're about 40 days or so. And if you think yeah. about it, the life expectancy of a chicken is about the same as life expectancy of a cat, okay? When we, or a dog, when we adopt or when we, whatever, for people who do buy dogs, you're, you're usually pick up your little puppy when they're about eight weeks old. And so, and we think of it, oh, it's like such a cute little puppy. It's just a baby. Like, and think and imagine that little puppy that's eight weeks old. Or think about a little kitten that eight, that's eight weeks old. Well, if we now take this and look back to the chickens, baby chicks, they're still babies. They get slaughtered even before they reach the age of being eight weeks old. And at that time, they're yeah, so- Yeah, they get slaughtered at day one. Yeah one day old and every animal that's slaughtered for, for food in the United States uh, with the exception of spent or downed dairy cows is a baby, every single one. Pigs are six months old, chickens are 40 to 50 days old. You know, cows are between six months and two years old. And then if it's a spent dairy cow, it basically means that it's been forcibly impregnated over and over and over again and just can't produce milk anymore and his body's falling apart uh, and then they're sent to the dairy industry to be killed. I mean, sent, sent to the meat industry to be killed. And they're usually about six, six years old. This is hard. So, like, you know, people say, oh, veal's horrible. That's a baby cow. Every animal on your plate is a baby. Every single one. Yeah. I really think if people really heard this, like not just listen to it, but actually heard it. I don't. I don't think there is a way they could. They could look away. I think we're just so used to like it's, it's, numbing our emotions. Absolutely. That's it. well. Not only that, we we live in uh, a society, and most of the Western world does that medicates emotions. You know, we we emotions are. We, we're not in control of our emotions. We are observers of our emotions. So you cannot control your emotions. We can control how we react to them, but we can't control them. And the fact that we can't control them means that every one of them is valid. I'm speaking, like, this is a lot of the things that my brother talks about. Uh, so when you are, you know, dealing with, say, depression or, you know, you're having a difficult, you know, emotions that are difficult to deal with, in our culture, we medicate them. We say which gives the idea that there's something wrong with you or that these emotions are wrong and this will make it to where you're acceptable again in society if you take these pills. And the problem with that is that because every emotion is valid, if, if, we're, if we get rid of those, those, that medication, 
and we're dealing with some difficult emotions. Emotions arise because something in that moment is significant, at least significant enough to evoke an emotional response. And if we're willing, even if it's difficult, to sit in that emotion and observe it, over time we'll understand it. That's called growth. Okay, that's emotional and, you know, that's, that's, that's growth as a human being. That's how we grow. And when we medicate them, uh, especially like as young as 13 or 10 years old, starting there, all of those opportunities for growth disappear because we've been numbed to that emotion. So we are emotionally stunting uh, this country to, to where we, we, we grow up and emotions become too much to deal with. I don't want to deal with it. Please don't show me that. It's too much for me to deal with. You know, I, I don't want to look at how cows are killed. That's too much for me to deal with. And I, I think that the, a, a large problem of, of that is uh, antidepressants and, you know, mood stabilizers and all this medication we put on people so that they don't feel. Or at least these, 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 these emotions are numbed and they can just forget about them. Wow. I love the emotional stunting um, expression. Yeah, this is so true. This is so true. And now also as we transition to the next reason the, and the fourth reason that you have mentioned for the million dollar vegan, the health, I also think it's easy to talk about physical health uh, with relation to the vegan diet and plant-based nutrition or whatever, however you want to frame it. But I think the component that also get that sometimes gets overlooked is the, the mental, the emotional health that is so important. And again, like so folded in and, and with, with the with going vegan i think it was definitely for myself because again like we as, as we just talked like we tend to numb ourselves emotionally so much and for me i know before i became vegan i always knew i i loved animals and like i saw cows and chickens and, and goats when i was growing up in ukraine but and while i loved animals i always had that like mental dissonance where i somehow still ate them and for me, going vegan and uh, acknowledging that I love animals parts in, my, in myself, also able to now bring it into alignment with my action, it was so liberating in terms of not having to like, do the mental gymnastics of justifying my actions anymore. So I, and, and like with all the other you know, outlets that this dietary choice provides to you, I think it's so much healthier in us, both physically and emotionally. Yeah, I think that there's a, you know, we can make the comparison. We say, you know, a large amount of the energy that your body spends every day, if you're eating meat and dairy, is digesting meat and dairy. You know, a, a large part of it, close, you know, 70 or 80 percent is because this is not food that we're meant to be able to eat. So our body has a hard time digesting it. And a lot of energy is spent digesting food, especially for something very difficult like meat and dairy. And I think that it's the same thing with, with, the mental aspect of it. A lot of our mental, you know, a lot of the energy is spent convincing ourselves that it's okay to eat it, you know, that we, we, we've got these voices going on in the back of our head constantly, like arguing and working out a way for it to be okay to eat this, you know, even though it's at the same time, we, we know it's not right, but it, it's interesting. It's like when my brother uh, talked about, uh, I've talked to him about this um, when he was an addict. The whole time he knew he was an addict. Absolutely. He, he knew he was addicted and he knew he had a serious problem. And, uh, but it only became truly real for him 
when he said it and his ears heard it. Like, because then it became, it, 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 it like the, it took on a more real life form, I guess, when hearing it, him say that, instead of just it being a voice in his head that he could keep quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that, uh, you know, we just keep that voice in our head quiet. That, you know, it's not, you know, this is, you know, you love animals, what are you doing? You know, there's probably no other topic that more of the entire human race would agree on then we should be kind to animals, you know? And yet less than 1% of the entire human race is vegan. All of these people are silencing that voice in their head every single day. That would be exhausting. Right. Yeah, that's so true. And like what, what I'm thinking now too is when you said the kind of saying it and then hearing it, it's like the first step of being able to make any kind of change is first accepting the fact that the, pro- that the problem exists or like admitting the fact that whatever is happening actually happening. Right. So, and I also think it's important because it's, it's kind of like a step or stage approach to resolving anything or changing your life or even like go and transition into the vegan diet because it, it can be scary. It's like, well, if I admit it, then I have to make a change right away. Well, maybe you don't have to make it right away. It would be amazing if you did, but maybe you don't have to make it right away. But allowing yourself to feel what's there, allowing yourself to admit the fact that, yes, your actions at this moment of time today, your actions do not align with your values. When you, when you say, I love animals, and then you still eat meat, they do not align. But that's okay. Just admit the fact that they do not align today. And then tomorrow, or maybe this evening, if you think you can do something about it, then let's do something about it. But if not, at least admitting the fact is so big and so important. And it is the first step of making any kind of change, the awareness. Absolutely. Not only just admitting there's a problem, admitting that, and this might sound harsh, but admitting that you are the problem. Like, anyone who is who is uh, who has type 2 diabetes nobody has it that they didn't give to themselves i mean it's a lifestyle disease if you have type 2 diabetes you gave yourself type 2 diabetes it's just the way it works nobody just genetically develops type 2 diabetes who's living a healthy lifestyle so if you sit there every day saying well my diabetes is a, a you know it's a problem with my genetics or my, my culture or, you know, whatever, you know, my, my economic, you know, where I am with how much money I make and things like that. You want to do that? Fine. You, you, nothing for you will ever change. Okay. But if you say, I am the cause of my diabetes, if you accept that you are the problem, that is also understanding that you are the solution. Okay. Because all you have to do is change. Nothing else in the world has to change, just you. Because nothing else in the world will change to, to fix your life. It won't. For anything. The world will not change to make your life better. And once you understand that, while it can be hard to say I'm the problem, it's an empowering statement too. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm here cheering on because I also so, so much agree. I, I think 
it, as you said, I mean, admitting the fact that you're the problem, it, it may seem dire at the beginning, but really it's the fact that, that if you get to be the problem, you also get to be the solution. And the willingness to take responsibility for your actions and the, and the, the consequences of those actions is, is really like the best thing that there can be because you can, you can build the life that you want and you can be the person that you envision yourself to be and act in alignment with your values. And yeah, it's, it's really, truly empowering. Yeah. And I, I don't think that there's a, a place where we'll see the, the impact more clearly than in terms of health, like on an individual level, like people that are suffering from cardiovascular disease, heart disease, you know, diabetes, all of these, if you're on medication, there's the medication in this country does not treat the problem that they mask the symptoms sort of in the same way that the, that antidepressants do. And we know this because if somebody has cardiovascular disease or heart disease and they're put on medication for those, those diseases, right? If they change nothing in their lifestyle, their lifestyle, which caused that disease in the first place, no matter how much medication they're on, they will have a cardiac event. It's inevitable mm -hmm. because you have not, the cause of the problem is your lifestyle choices. If you have such high cholesterol that you're blocking arteries in your heart and you've had to have stents put in, stents are, are not a solution. Stents are just a way of giving you a little bit more time to destroy yourself. The same thing with uh, heart disease medication and diabetes medication. You, there's no medication on the planet. There's no procedure. There's no shot. There's no surgery that will cure, reverse or cure type 2 diabetes. But you can just go shop in the produce section of a grocery store and completely reverse your type 2 diabetes. I know I did it. And so if people accept that it's just that their, their lifestyle choices, like the number one cause of death in the United States is heart disease. Most people in the United States will die of heart disease. The number one cause of heart disease is cholesterol. The only source of cholesterol is animal protein. That's it. If, if you're eating animals, if you're eating meat or dairy, that is where your cholesterol is coming from. It's that simple. Now, if you say, well, I have naturally high cholesterol or, you know, it's my genetics, that would make you, if, it, if it, your genetics gave you heart disease or high cholesterol, that would make you a, a failure in evolutionary, in, in evolutionary terms. And it's not true. Okay. We did not evolve to kill ourselves with high cholesterol. It's, we're killing ourselves by what we eat. Now, if you cut out cholesterol, guess what? Your cholesterol goes back down. It's the same with diabetes. People think that one so many people think that the cause of diabetes is sugar, which is wrong. That's just how we know that you have diabetes, right? It's like saying that vomit is the cause of the flu. Uh, the problem is, is, is excess fat, especially the myo, intramyocellular lipids that get into the muscle tissue. And so, but people don't believe that. And they think that something about me is broken. I have broken parts, you know, my, my, I have bad genes. That's why I have diabetes. And of course people are, there are certain people that are genetically predisposed to gaining weight or getting diabetes or getting heart disease, but none of them have to actually have it because all of our genes are activated by the food that we eat and the environment that we're in. And so if somebody says, okay, I have diabetes, I, I want to adopt a, a plant-based diet. 
a, a low-fat plant-based diet for somebody with diabetes. What happens is the intramyocellular, intramyocellular lipids, which are fat cells, which uh, get into your muscle tissue. Inside your muscle tissue is your insulin receptors that detect glucose in the bloodstream. And this fat covers up the insulin receptors. So it's not as though anything is broken, they're just covered with fat so that when glucose is in the bloodstream, they don't detect it. They don't know it's there. So they never send the signal to the pancreas to release insulin to push that glucose out of the blood into the muscle to be converted to energy. That doesn't happen because of the fat. You get rid of the fat and it starts doing its job again. No matter how much sugar goes in the bloodstream, it's going to say, oh, there it is. You know, send a message to the pancreas, push it into the uh, muscles, let's make some energy out of it. It's, it's not as though there's anything broken with you. You just have to change your life. You have to, you know, adopt a low-fat diet, get rid of the fat, which is easy to do, especially as someone who suffers from obesity. And I was 100 pounds overweight. Uh, when, you're, when you're obese, people think, you know, that obesity, it's, 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 it's this weird dynamic where a lot of people see obesity as laziness, but your body's working very hard to be obese. Uh, it, it takes a lot of work be obese. Uh, and so once you start feeding yourself with a healthy, low-fat, plant-based diet, it's going to just fall off, especially like the first 40 pounds. They're just going to fall right off. You will plateau a little bit when you've got like 20 pounds left to lose, and you may have to start going to the gym. But for like those first, let's say you're 100 pounds overweight, like those first 80 pounds, they're going to go away just by what you eat. You don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to ex add any exercise to your, your, your daily routine. It's, you know, you lose weight in the kitchen, and then if you want to get fit, you go to the gym. And it, we, especially in terms of healthcare and healthcare costs, and a little bit with uh, climate change, uh, I'll touch on, maybe, maybe we can talk about that later, but uh, with, with healthcare costs, we're saying, you know, uh, we want free health care. You know, why is this so expensive? Why is that so expensive? You know, well, why, why are we arguing about how much these things are going to cost instead of preventing a problem or preventing the need to have them in the first place? The best health care is prevention. I don't get sick. I don't. I, I, I don't remember the last time I had a cold. I, I never get the flu anymore. Uh, I, uh, all of my medications that I was on when I had type 2 diabetes and high cholesterol and high blood pressure are gone. Uh, so my healthcare costs are zero, zero. That if everybody was healthy and nobody was having to go in for heart procedures and, and you know weight loss procedures and, and you know all of these different procedures that are very expensive, different surgeries, healthcare costs are going to just plummet. They're going to drop because nobody needs it anymore. And then people say, if somebody who has a real like one of those rare, real genetic congenital problems that needs medicine will be able to afford it. They'll be dirt cheap. You know, that's the real solution. We, we, so we, we, we want to look to our government or, or people in charge to solve our problems, which I, I think for me, I, I never want to wait for the government to solve my problems, especially my government in the United States. Like I don't remember the last time they did something properly under budget or on time. You know, they, it's, like, that's the last thing I want to do is ask my government to solve my problems, especially when it's a problem I can solve. You know, I solved my health care cost problems by adopting a plant-based diet. I, I 
I never need health care. I never need it. I have catastrophic coverage. That's it. If I get into a car accident or something like that, I have coverage to pay for that. It's like it's like eighty dollars a month. That's it. I, I don't need anything else because I, I don't need any medication because nothing's wrong with me, and I, I I I don't suffer from any illnesses because of my my lifestyle choices. And it's that it's that simple. And I think the same thing can be said for our climate change problem. We want our government, and of course we want our government to understand, one, that climate change is real and that it matters and how important it is and that it matters to all of us. And if you are a public servant, you are going to serve the public and you're going to do what's in our best interest. We want our government to understand that. But climate change, solving climate change is entirely in our hands, not theirs. If you don't want, if you don't want fossil fuels, Stop using them. If you want to cut climate change emissions in half in your by your daily life, stop eating animal products. Like if if we spend more time, you know, changing our lifestyle on an individual level on what we can do to impact the world, we would actually see change, you know, change happening instead of saying, why isn't the government making everybody do it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we, I would like the government to, to say that here's the new rule, like, you know, we're not eating animals in this country or, you know, we're not using, you know, fossil fuels, even though that's, unfortunately, that's politically, that's just not, not possible to cut out fossil fuels. No, it's, from a political standpoint, it's not possible. Uh, but you don't have to use them. No one's forcing you to use them. And the great, the interesting thing, or the good thing about being in a capitalist country, and I know a lot of people are anti-capitalism, and there's, and of course there are, there's corruption in our capitalism, but there's corruption in every government, in every political system, there's corruption. But the good thing about being in a capitalist country is we get a, we really get a vote by just choosing what we spend our money on. We, we don't want, you know, the dairy industry is, is in real trouble because we have decided more and more people, more and more Americans have decided that we don't want dairy. We want dairy alternative milk, which is why the dairy industry is in trouble. Now, the problem comes into with subsidies. Our government does not act like a capitalist country when they bail out a dying industry. That's the opposite of capitalism. Capitalism says what the people want is what we should have because it's making money. Therefore, the people want it. Therefore, that's what they want. We'll give them that. That's just how it works. And if you're your industry offering a product that nobody wants, you know, switch. We're not, we, we shouldn't be bailing, especially when we're, what, 20 something trillion dollars in debt. We don't need to be bailing out com- companies or industries that don't make money. It's, that, that's crazy to me. But that's, there's a lot of power in, in every individual. If we just, Again, you have to accept that you're the problem. Stop asking people to solve your problems. Do it yourself. It's, you know, you can make drastic impact to, to climate change and environmental the destruction of our environment and our forest and the Amazon, and just by saying, "Okay, I'm not going to eat animals anymore. I'm not going to contribute to the animal agriculture industry anymore." You can do that. Anybody can do it. It's easy, and it doesn't make you a different person by going vegan. A lot of people think, oh, I don't want to be a vegan. As though a vegan is a type of person. It's just an ethic. And it's an ethic that almost everybody already has. Like, I didn't become a vegan and say, oh, now I don't want to hurt animals. I never wanted to hurt animals. I just 
by choosing a vegan lifestyle, I get to live a lifestyle where I'm not harming animals. It's, it's you know, it's that easy. But you can't make it seem too easy or people are going to be very suspicious. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> but I, I'm a seventh generation Texan. I grew up playing football. I love football. I love boxing. I, I love watching boxing and, and uh, Formula One racing. I, I like barbecue. I like going. I like eating burgers. And as a vegan, I, I like football. I like boxing. I like sports. You know, I like Formula One race car driving. I still like barbecue, and I still like burgers. They're just all vegan. Nothing. I'm the exact same person. <laughs> I'm just a healthier version of it. You don't have to become somebody different just because you're vegan. Yeah. I think it's really powerful, especially coming from you too, as you said, you know, with like that background, because many people are like, oh, I could never do that. Said every vegan ever, really. Because same, exactly. same thing. Yeah. It's not, it's especially today, it's so not hard. You know, everything has been veganized. And, uh, you know, you can go to Burger King now and get a yes. vegan burger. You know? Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting that there's, you know, there's fighting amongst vegans about that, which is just nuts. Again, this goes to like, why are we fighting? You know, people say, oh, we shouldn't be supporting companies like Burger King. But how many times have you done outreach and somebody said, I would be vegan, but it's just not convenient. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's becoming very convenient now. Let's not stop that. Yeah, you, know? you have to meet the people where they are. At least that's where the change begins. I mean, make it easier. And then today, let's do it again. And then let's do it again. And then let's talk how we can do it better. Yeah. And let's show that these, these non-vegan companies, especially, you know, like proudly non-vegan companies like McDonald's and Burger King, that veganism isn't a fad. It's not the latest, you know, Hollywood trend or whatever, that there's a lot of money to be made in veganism, that it's the fastest growing market in human history. And they will adopt more vegan products. And by doing that, they will, they will start to lose some of their non-vegan products. That's what we want. Because like it or not, McDonald's and Burger King aren't going anywhere. They're enormous companies. They're not. So what we have to do is get them on our side. Hell yeah. You know, you don't want, the best thing we can do, like Anthony Bourdain, unfortunately, you know, he, he committed suicide and he was a, adamant vegan you know didn't really agree with the vegan you know uh philosophy said you know things to the extent of it's insulting to chef and a lot of vegans were you know i'm not saying a lot of vegans but i definitely saw posts on instagram where people were happy that he, he died or they you know that he wasn't spreading that message anymore and one that's not a vegan point of view because veganism is about love and compassion so that's one that i don't agree with that but what an amazing ally it would have been to made Anthony Bourdain vegan. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what we want. We don't want to destroy people that aren't vegan. We want to make these people vegan. We want to make them our allies. What a powerful ally it would be to have McDonald's as a vegan ally, you know? Yeah. It's, it, and that, that's, I think that really, there's, you can make your veganism about two things. You can make it about love or you can make it about hate. You can make your veganism about how much you hate animal agriculture, how much you hate slaughterhouses and how much you, you know, you, you hate that people, you know, how much you hate people who harm animals. And I can understand that point of view, but that, that is an exhausting place to come from. Hate is exhausting and uh, it's, you will burn out. 
or you can make it about how much you love animals, how much you love saving animals, how much you love the environment, how much you love you know, your body, no matter where you are, even if you're, you're very obese, don't hate your body, love what you're doing for it. Because while hate is exhausting, love is empowering. Love does, people don't get tired of loving something. They don't, they just, they don't, it, it just doesn't happen. And we care for the things that we love. And I think that to promote lifelong positive change in things, it has to come from a place of love and not hate. Hate can be a, a fantastic motivator for short-term change, but it, it never lasts. It's, it's going to run out of gas. It's just going to, it's going to stop. You're going to run out of energy. You're going to burn out where if it was about love and every time you see a change, it's, it's just like, reignites how much love you have for everything you're doing it, it it's just refueling you you know it makes you try harder even if those victories are very small you know which we have to you know, we have to celebrate our small victories because that's how they that's how they happen in veganism but except for hopefully ab44 the the california statewide fur ban which the senate passed uh, and we just need uh, Governor Newsom to sign it, and it becomes a uh, law, and we'll be the first state in the country to ever ban the manufacture and sale of fur. Oh That'd my be God! Amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. Bobby, this is like one of the most beautiful ways I've heard of explaining veganism, coming from a place of love rather than from a place of hate. And I just continue to admire your passion, but beyond that, also your. Um, knowledge level and expertise and you drop in knowledge on not just environment or the world hunger numbers but like understanding having a, such a profound under understanding of all the the processes the physiological processes in our body and the science behind the health components of that it's really really cool and it's just amazing for the, the vegan community uh, to have you on our side as your advocate and and the speaker, and of course, as creative, um, as, a, as a creator of the content as well, from videography, film, or anything related to that. So I, I just love Thank hearing you. Thank you so speak. much. Yeah, you truly speak from your heart. Thank so you. I, I want to come back to um, the million dollar vegan now, uh, again, since we discussed our four main, oh my God, let me not fall, <laughs> four main pillars. Uh, so tell us what are, what's next. So you're looking for your person or maybe you have your person, but you're not announcing them yet. Uh, and then tell us like what, what, what to expect, how we can keep up with Million Dollar Vegan Campaign, how listeners can maybe help to forward the message and contribute to the campaign. What, are, what, what does it look like? Sure. So uh, for, for this one, we do have our person. Uh, I may have, may have dropped a hint in there about who it might be uh, as you go back and listen uh, and what we did was we went we, we went around the country and we interviewed we've now done I believe 70 interviews we interviewed athletes celebrities doctors and people who had uh, you know life transformation health transformation and we interviewed all these people and uh, telling their story of, you know talking about you know like people like Charity Morgan who uh, who's in Game Changers? Yes. Uh, who who helped 13 members of the Tennessee Titans go vegan, and when they did, or at least stop the plant-based lifestyle, and when they did, they had their best season in like 10 years or something like that. Oh my God, she's uh, such a hero. You know, all all the all the doctors, you know, Ethelson, T. Colin Campbell, Garth Davis, you know, uh, Neil Barnard, 
Kim Williams, uh, Milton Mills, all those doctors, uh, people like transformation stories, people like David Clark, the, uh, the, the ultra runner or uh, Robbie Ballinger, who recently ran across the country as a vegan, like a solo run across the country. Uh, uh, people in, in uh, military uh, like uh, Ronnie Penn, who's a bodybuilder and a Coast Guard. And uh, one of our producers, Naomi, who uh, her husband is the, as far as we know, the only vegan fighter pilot uh, in the, the US Air Force. He's currently on deployment, but uh, when he gets back, he's going to be interviewed uh, about being a, a vegan fighter pilot. And so what we'll do is starting in December, we're going to release a video, one video a day, every day for the entire month of December and January. Each one will be one person telling, you know, talking about their transformation or their lifestyle. And it'll really be a way for people to, who, who want to try going vegan for the month of January or December to get daily inspiration and, and help by just going on Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook and, and watching these videos. Uh, you can follow uh, at Million Dollar Vegan. Okay. And uh, that's, and each one will, will, will also be addressing healthcare and asking poli you know, politicians or a certain politician to help make America healthy again uh and like whether again whether they do it or not is not how we judge the success of the campaign it's how much publicity we get and hopefully we get you know because the last campaign uh piers morgan the uh the news the the news analyst who's on cnn uh he heard about it the, the pope campaign and he said i will pay vegans a million dollars to shut up and that got us so much press I just want to personally thank you, Piers Morgan, for all you did for our movement. It was so helpful. We couldn't have done it without you. Thank you so much for all you do. Please help us again this time. It'd be great. <laughs> this is genius. Oh, I cannot wait. Okay, so, and I think the Instagram uh, account is up already at Million Dollar Vegan, right? So people oh, yeah. can start yeah. following it now, but then come December, there's going to be a more strategic daily uh, release of a video. Uh, and we'll yeah. hopefully learn soon for sure who is our lucky And you can go on, person. if you go on the Million Dollar Vegan page, you can see all of the, the, the whole campaign with the Pope is all up there. You can watch all of that. This is so exciting. And there's a video that, uh, that I shot with uh, Genesis Butler and Mina Supari, the, the actress who's, who's vegan, at a... Uh, LA Animal Save Pig Vigil, which is very powerful. If you want to watch that one. And the full one is on YouTube. Great. I'll, I'll include those links in show notes as well for the listeners. Okay. This is so exciting. Uh, is there anything that uh, listeners can do to help support the Million Dollar Vegan campaign? Um, mainly just by, you know, reposting, sharing it, you know, talking about it with people, you know. Uh, if you want to repost or share any of the old videos that we've got up now, we are still posting new stuff, uh, you know, photos with like little, like memes with quotes taken from the interviews, uh, uh, with all the new people that we're putting up there. Um, we've had some really great interviews. One of my favorite was with Paul DeGelder, who, uh, he was Australian Navy clearance diver who was attacked by a shark and lost his right leg and right hand. Um, 
and since then he's become a uh, a keynote speaker he's a uh, an ocean and shark conservationist and a the host of discovery channel shark week and uh his his interview was really powerful you know and so you have all these really cool videos to look forward to and i, I think it's going to be very 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 successful campaign i think that is so exciting okay well Listeners, make sure that you follow Million Dollar Vegan and support the amazing work that Bobby Saad and his team does. Um, before we end, I just want to talk just a little bit more, if that's okay, about the documentary that you're working on with Sean Monson. I know we uh, talked about it a little bit last time on our previous interview, but from our conversation before we started recording, it sounds like that you're shifting the focus just a little bit. Can you give us like behind the scenes and maybe when we can expect the the release yeah yeah so uh the film was originally overhaul and uh it was about uh animal agriculture and focusing on free certain people and how they don't want to be in animal agriculture anymore and about changing a, a farm that was a chicken farm into a mushroom farm and uh the farmers the barretts they're still in that that story's still in the documentary but because of uh certain other people that now don't want to be in the film anymore we, we've changed the focus of the film and it's now called saving animals and uh because it's really made us look about look at all the the disagreement and arguing and, and fighting amongst animal activist groups and you know we're all just saving animals and so the documentary explores why that that exists uh and the different forms of activism that each group does and what you know documenting like is this we're not going to say we're not trying to say that this is effective or not we're just exploring it, like seeing what this group is doing and what they can accomplish and what this group and then why we can't just you know why we we all have to call each other out and saying what we're doing like we're the veganist vegan group and you should be like us and what you're doing is wrong you know because again it's not even if like i don't i don't agree with uh with disruption not that i don't agree with it I just wouldn't do it. Uh, I haven't seen it work in my experience. So in my experience, I've seen it be counterproductive, but I can't say that it is a counterproductive act because mm -hmm. there are groups like DXE who've been doing it for a long time. And DXE has been a very successful group, you know, in, in terms of like what they've done and how much they've grown and their, their impact and their, their, their space in the animalized movement. DXE is, is an incredible organization. And so they do a lot of, disruption i just don't do that i'm not going to say dxc you need to stop that it doesn't work i don't know what you're thinking i would never say that but there are groups that are doing that you know they're saying oh why are you doing it this way that doesn't work you know don't do that you know you need to stop doing that like uh like we were talking about rob banks in uh, in new york mm -hmm. uh he's a very outspoken activist he, he will go to red carpet events and things about and you know with a megaphone and and, and posters and yelling at, at celebrities who are wearing fur and saying, you know, why are you wearing fur? You know, why don't you care about animals? You know, like, and while I wouldn't do it, mainly because I don't have the guts to do it. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, I don't have the, the sense of security in myself to do, to do something <laughs> like that. Uh, and while I know a lot of people don't agree with that, that aggressive tactic, you can't argue that and like you you can't dismiss the fact that look rob banks gets on tmz what he does gets on tmz and you know that that reaches a lot of people and almost all of the people watching tmz are not vegan mm 
you know, like we can get, I can get, we can post things on LA Animal Save or on our on our Instagram pages and get 30,000 likes, but most of them are, are vegans, you know, where like Rob Banks is reaching people that aren't vegan, you know? So I'm not, I'm certainly not going to tell him to stop doing what he's doing because he's having a great, he has a great reach to people that aren't vegan. So I, I, I think we just, if, if we could just focus on the fact that we're all saving animals, that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. All right. If you don't agree with the way they're doing it, let them do it. And you do you, you know, that's really what the documentary is about. We still have, uh, there's still a lot of filming left to do. So, uh, I, I can't say when it will be done, but it's not going to be soon. Yeah. yeah. What about the what? vegan travel show? So I, I'm still, so I shot another episode, uh, in, in London and, uh, London, by the way, like I was in London 13 years ago and I thought the food was, was shit. Sorry. I don't know if I can say that. You can totally say whatever um, you want. Okay. It was like some of the worst food I've ever had. <laughs> uh, and then I was just there. It was, I was just there in June and their vegan food is unbelievable. Oh. Like I, I'm eating it going like look, thinking, wow, LA, we are really resting our rep, on our reputation, aren't we? Cause like, there's this place in Camden called Pureza. It's a vegan pizza place. And uh, it has ruined vegan pizza for me. Because every vegan pizza I have now, I'm like, well, this isn't even close to Pureza. <laughs> and, and they won they won best pizza in Europe, which is for not just for vegan pizza, just pizza. They won best pizza in Europe. Wow. It's absolutely the most unbelievable pizza I've ever had in my entire life, vegan or not. And so, like, there's places like that. And, and, of course, there's cool, you know, like, Unity Diner, Earthling Ed's place is there. And so you can go there, and, and Earthling Ed, was, you know, will be there sometimes. You can talk to Earthling Ed. Like, how cool is that? You know? It's amazing. Uh, it, it's just, there's so many vegan restaurants in London. It's really cool. But we, it's getting, uh, hopefully with Burger King and Carl's Jr. and now Subway and now McDonald's in Canada, the problem we've had with the show is, that networks love it, but we can't get advertising attached to the show mm-hmm. because it's a vegan show. Uh, hopefully now that will become less and less of a problem because these companies that do, I mean, most of the, the advertising on television is, is fast food and medication. Uh, so hopefully that will become, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully, that will become less of a problem uh but you know hopefully we can meet with netflix i, I think that it would just with netflix or any streaming network or any streaming you know platform you don't need advertising attached to it they do mm-hmm. all their own advertising so yeah that's where we are right now that's exciting how many uh episodes do you have so far we have three we have an episode in israel an episode in ireland and now an episode in london <sighs> Oh my God, that's amazing. It's funny. We're just, I have a friend, uh, well, you know, in Georgia, the, the film industry is busting too. Uh, so I have a friend, a few friends in the film industry, and we were just talking, who's also a fellow vegan. And she was just talking how amazing it would be a tra- to have a vegan travel show. I'm like, I know just the guy. <laughs> so, people are, so, people, so people are waiting for it, obviously, but it's just, yeah, I can only imagine. I actually cannot imagine the like the logistics and kind of the all the details of the negotiating of releasing the film. Yeah. I feel like it's a whole different beast. I mean, 
everybody was so excited about game changers for two years now and look how long it takes for them to took for them to you know to, yeah. to go nationwide in the theaters and now they uh, they're releasing on iTunes right for purchase uh, on October 1st but again it took them right, forever yeah. to to get that done and I'm sure they had to jump through hoops to get to get it out yeah and that's James Cameron exactly you know like you know he, he he's James Cameron he can get a meeting with anybody he wants you know and uh, it's been really the frustrating thing is you know, uh, we built this whole pitch deck showing the growth of the vegan movement and one, uh, telling them that this is not just a show for vegans. In fact, we don't ever say the word vegan in the show. It's just a travel show and the food just happens to be vegan because the, uh, for the show to attract people to the movement, it's not about animal rights and it's not about health. We're just saying, look at how much fun this is we're having a party oh by the way it happens to be, be vegan oh by the way everyone's invited you know and we explain that to these networks and we show them that the growth of the market the veganism is the fastest growing social movement in human history and uh it's so it's a market it's the fastest growing market with zero programming zero we have no programming and i, I don't know what is holding them back you know so it's been a little frustrating yeah. but television there's a reason why we have a million cop shows and a million hospital shows and a million lawyer shows is because they don't like change they don't like changing things mm -hmm. but i feel like it's also that so. the floodgates i feel like once one is in and they realize yes. how good it is and how many like viewers they get and how much support they get it's going to be a no-brainer and like the way the way I look at it, especially with from the angle of the vegan food show, is uh, it's all about inclusivity and vegan veganism and vegan food makes it so simple. And the example I would make is that something that we just talked about uh, with some of my friends is uh, I uh, I teach like a dance class at the gym, so it's like a work cardio whatever fitness class that's like dance. And sometimes we gather up with people from the class just because I want to get to know them. So we like we do potlucks or whatever, and they all know that I'm vegan because I often like make vegan food and bring it to the class. Uh, but because they all are nice to me. <laughs> They also bring food to the potluck that most of the time is vegan. And here it is, bunch of food, bunch of people who like, not all of them or actually very few of them are vegan, but just because we're all having a party and it's just as easy to bring food that's vegan so I can participate as well versus bring something that only a few people can eat. It, it's like, it's an easy way to include everybody, right? And as you said, nowadays with yeah. all options that are available today like you don't have to suffer you can still have burgers you can have you can still have pizza you can have any food you like but make it vegan and then everybody can participate regardless of the food preferences so why not yeah it's, it's something i was i was researching social movements and the success of different social movements and by far the most successful social movement in recent history in terms of what they've accomplished and how clearly they've done it is the gay rights movement, far and away the most successful. Uh, and I was looking into why, and, there, and one is Pride Week is a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's they're having a party, everyone's dancing, you know, happy, having a good time, and everybody's welcome. And it's, it's, it's doing outreach at the same time. 
where we do marches while we hold dead animals in our hands and walk through the streets. And while for us it's very cathartic, it's not very inviting for people that don't get it yet, you know? Now, I understand that it's different because the gay rights movement, they're not asking people to be gay. They're just asking them to accept them for who they are, right? Where we are asking people to be vegan, you know? So there's a little difference in, in why they have been a lot more successful than we are. But I think if we could maybe take a little bit of what they do into what we do, like if we're, if we're going to have an animal rights march, let's, let's do it with like fun music and uh, vegan food. And, and it's, we're also doing that. We're also saying, look, you know, also have your sign saying, you know, like we love animals or anything, but we don't need to be militant and marching through the streets and screaming at people because we want to bring these people in. Right. So, again, this is just my opinion. I, I'm not saying it's the right or wrong thing to do. It's just something I noticed while doing some research. So. You, you just gave me so many ideas. I feel like you should, you should come to Atlanta and we can have like a festival where we can have a dance class or like some kind of yoga exercise in the morning and then have like a party afterwards with food, with vegan food and everybody's yeah. invited except you can't bring any of your animal products in. The security will right, stop. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, I know yeah. uh, I want to be respectful of your time and I know you have an event to coordinate here shortly. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk to or d discuss before we um, start ripping it up? Mm, no, no, no. I think we got everything. Any other yeah. exciting projects? Well, I know all of the projects you're working on are pretty cool, but any other projects that stand out to you that you're working on right now that we haven't discussed? Nothing that started yet. I've had some offers for some things that look pretty interesting uh, that I I've literally had to sign NDAs for, so I, I cannot talk about them. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. Just a little bit Some of mystery. Very interesting things will be happening, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well, um, I already had you on the show before, so I already asked the question about the kindness. So maybe I'll ask a different question uh, that we can close with. What gives you hope today? Hmm. <laughs> That's a... Uh, So I think with, with that, it's, we can't look back like a year ago and say, you know, look at the change we've made. There's a lot of hope. Uh, we have to do that in decades. Like if, if I were to look back from last year to this year, as far as the vegan movement, there's been change, but really not a lot, you know, but if I were to look back 10 or 20 years, there's been a great deal of change, you know? So, uh, and I think, you know, AB 44, if that becomes a law, that gives me a lot of hope. Um, and, and mainly because I spoke at, uh, in Sacramento at, at City Hall, uh, at the state capitol. And um, I was talking about how I had heard this podcast. It might have been Ritual's podcast or somebody's podcast. And they were talking about running and specifically uh, the four-minute mile. And it was believed that it was impossible for a human being to run a mile under four minutes. That if we did, we would die because our heart just couldn't handle it. We just couldn't do it. And then in, I think it was 1954 that, uh, oh, what was his name? Roger Bannister. He was the first person to break the four minute barrier. And then 
shortly after that, another runner breaks it. And then another runner breaks it. And then another. And now it's become the standard for middle distance professional runners. People in high school are breaking a four minute mile. And the only, like in 1954, in that short period of time, if you look at the changes to where people started being able to do it, there certainly wasn't an advancement in sports technology. No new shoes came out. Uh, there wasn't an advancement in sports training. The only thing that changed was that they knew it was possible. They knew it could be done. They had created a shift in global consciousness to where what was impossible is not possible. And I think that if, if the governor signs AB 44, the same sort of thing will happen. A, a shift in consciousness where people will say, oh, we'll never get a state to ban fur, that's impossible, will become possible. You know, and maybe in the future it will become the standard for every state. You know, that like one time we'll say, oh, I can't believe we were manufacturing fur in this country, it's crazy. Mm. You know, so that, that, that's where my hope is right now. It's just, you know, creating small shifts in people's consciousness, as Sean says, just removing a little bit more dirt off the windows, a little more light gets in. Hmm. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Love it. Bobby, thank you so much for all the amazing work that you do and the passion that you bring in and then the, the motivation and resolve and intentionality that you bring in to do the research and look at the facts and um, just all the expertise that you bring to the to the video and the filmmaking um, to to this world. Thank you so much for all your work. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show again. Yes, absolutely. And uh, maybe we'll do it again, maybe in a year, and then we'll see how far you've come or we've come all as a movement. And I'm sure we'll have many more exciting things to discuss. I would love that. I hope so. <laughs> Sounds good.